Welcome to the Unblocking Crypto Podcast. This podcast is not financial advice. It's meant for entertainment purposes only. These are just the opinions of a couple of rambling wrecks. Alrighty, welcome back to episode number 62 of Unblocking Crypto. A lot of things have happened in the past week, and one of which it seems to be some huge news happening. So we'll we'll start with the regulation side. How welcome back. Yeah, nice good vacation. <laughs> yeah, recharged, you know, did all that. Picked up a Costa Rican sinus infection. So that's why I'm gonna sound funny. Perfect. Well, so let's start with the latest news from from Europe. Right now, there apparently was a guy that faked being the president of Ukraine and had a conversation with the ECB president talking about the digital euro. And she pretty much came out and said, oh yeah, it's about to be launched in October of 2023 and there will be control behind it. What I don't understand, and there's still a lot of details out, but this is a video you can definitely go search on your own, is there? there's talk about either there already is control or there definitely will be control. Whereas I think what I listened to is if you have any transaction over three or $400 and you don't use a digital euro, you could be subject to fines and possible jail time. So they, they're going to force this on everybody, whether they like it or not. And it's a little scary with <laughs> what's about to happen because this is everything we've kind of talked about for years and they're making no secret that this is going to happen and there's nothing anybody can do about it. No, man, it's so wild. All of the tinfoil hat conspiracies and all these things, you know, I'm 41 years old. So growing up, you had all these conspiracies and you knew about them, but they were never true. And you know, in the last three years, all of these conspiracies about whether it's COVID or UFOs or anything else, they're going to control the currencies. Okay, great. Wacko guy, you know, with a conspiracy theory. And then it comes around and like, you've got people in positions of power actually saying that that's not just like something they've thought of considered or whatever it's part of the plan and is going to be implemented and you get it and now granted i suppose this could be like a deep fake and could be like ai generated computer generated video which would be like another conspiracy theory upon this one but assuming that it's real and assuming that it's like they're doing the things that the conspiracy theories say they're doing, which they should be laughable, right? Europe, while Europe isn't the, the, the global capital of freedom, it is mostly a democracy and it's mostly educated people and they should be able to operate with normal levels of freedom, which would include being able to buy what you want at, the, at market price without being scrutinized by the government. So to, to implement something like that is pretty wild, especially because Europe would be in the lead in implementing a program like this, not China or North Korea or you know any of these other countries where you know it's all about controls. Europe doesn't even really have currency controls. China has currency controls. They should China should be doing this way in advance. They've got the social credit score stuff going on for china but that should be looked down upon by europe and it shouldn't be like oh well, we can do it different <laughs> we're not going to do social credit score but we can scrutinize any purchase over 300 dollars. which because of money printing 300 dollars doesn't you take a family of four out to a nice dinner or you buy your friends a nice dinner in europe you're going to be in the three to four hundred dollar range 
So that's a lot of purchases for anybody in like the upper middle class and beyond. This is, it's another day where it's like, oh, these conspiracy theories are like worth listening to now. And so what is the uh, bank that Barney Frank was a part of? Is that a signature? Signature bank. Yeah. Like, yeah. It sounds like a conspiracy theory. Yeah. So I, I was reading or listening to some people talk a little bit about that. And there's no question that it seems like the U.S. is somewhat attacking the crypto space. Right? And if you look at what's happened with Signature Bank, they've they pretty much taken all the customers they had and sold it off to another bank. The only customers that didn't move over were crypto firms. So well, they had... Part of the FDIC's requirement was they couldn't purchase the crypto-based accounts. Yeah. So everybody is back up and running except for crypto firms, and they're making it extremely difficult for crypto firms at all to get on and off in in this space. And it's and I know Coinbase has been kind of pushing for a while to get more legislation or more people that are pro-crypto legislators into office and man it's becoming more important than ever if all of this stuff continues to happen yeah and part of me thinks yeah okay bring on this battle because you know it's you know there's gonna be a fight if bitcoin is successful which it seems to be carry on a uh, crypto in general not knowing which one might be successful in which way but some level of cryptocurrency adding the ability for people to transact value independent of a government issued currency. Yeah, of course they're going to fight that. Of course they're going to make it difficult and they're going to do these things. The government's doing it in such a dumb way. Taking over Signature Bank on a on a Sunday, which is re- like first of a kind for the FDIC because everything that happened Friday, the bank was in the same situation Friday at close as it was on Sunday. They took over uh, Silicon Valley Bank Friday right after close like they do every other bank. And then, oh, by the way, we're going to announce on Sunday we're taking over Signature Bank. It's, okay, well, what's the difference? Okay, it's it's crypto. The government needs to realize that they can't outsmart or outmaneuver crypto or Bitcoin. It's they're not capable of it. The even your your Elizabeth Warrens and people that don't do the research, don't understand it, and are just against it flat out. They have to know that the government can't outthink tech engineers globally but they're going to try to fight the fight in an old school way and I don't think it's going to work. For the same reasons that Silicon Valley Bank failed in that social media and people's ability to communicate independent of what the bank would want or independent of what the central authority would want they're talking on the sides through social media and technology and all that and getting that information hey this bank is in trouble you might want to pull your money out so they all did, and the bank failed. For that same way, the government's going to say, oh, Bitcoin, we're going to have to uh, you know, shut this bank down or pressure these banks to do this or pressure the banks to do that. Well, all it's going to do is force people to talk more about why is the government trying to force banks out of crypto while simultaneously debasing the dollar and I can't buy as much at the grocery store as I used to. Okay, I'm sitting on $1,000 in my checking account. That sucks because next... Next year, that I'm going to be able to buy $900 worth of stuff. I need to get out of that $1,000 and into something that can preserve that buying power. Is there a crypto that can do that? Is there Bitcoin that can do that? Because you can flip in and out in a second. You know, it's not like, oh, I've got to wait. I got to buy a stock on on weekdays that aren't bank holidays between the hours of 930 and 430. It's like, no, I can do it 24-7 whenever I need to. I can go in and out of US dollars to Bitcoin. 
you know, people are going to be like, okay, well, the government's shutting these guys down, but my government dollars don't, this doesn't work for me. And that's a guy with a thousand bucks. You got a guy with 10,000 bucks, a hundred thousand bucks, you know, 500 grand. You just keep compounding how important it is for those people to make decisions that preserve their buying power. So I think the government's going to get sideswiped by how fast that information moves. And when it comes to Bitcoin, it's always been the, the intelligent people are into Bitcoin. And then you've got people that are just like, I buy Bitcoin. There's not a lot of thought to it. They just like, look, these guys are into it. They're smart. I'm in it. And then uh, that's all I need to know. And eventually people are going to listen to their, the people that are super smart that have been in Bitcoin for 10 years or five years or three years or whatever that are like, hey, this is something you need to do. Zero percent Bitcoin allocation is is a risky position to be in. And it's just going to keep it's going to keep pressuring people to get out of U.S. dollars and out great for the government. Now, it might be a clumsy there might be wins and losses and the price may fluctuate wildly because <laughs> I mean, I think we learned the guys that write the headlines are on the same team as the guys that, that get elected. So those headlines are going to drive price up and down. And, and when the price goes down, the headlines are going to be creating whatever narrative they want. In the long term, I don't think the government can win. Yeah, emotion definitely drives the price for sure. Well, what's interesting, it's almost like when FTX was trying to create this monopoly on owning or being able to, to get on and off of crypto in the U.S. and that fell through, the government had their hands there and that's very clear. Now they've lost the ability to kind of own that part of it. They've kind of flipped the switch and they're coming after crypto and saying, well, if we can't own the exchange, then <laughs> how do we make sure that they don't compete with us at all? And yeah, it, it is... It is very scary right now. Yeah, because like that does keep pushing. Because I'm I'm not a um, I'm not one of those Coinbase haters. Like a lot of crypto people are anti Coinbase, or a lot of Bitcoin people. If you think about it, I haven't had these thoughts about the if you have FTX as being kind of a government manipulated exchange. So FTX is your pro government exchange. Coinbase kind of grew up in the crypto industry, independent of the government. Uh, they've tried to work with regulators as much as they can and play the, by the rules. They get kicked around a lot by the regulators that surprise them with uh, Wells notices and investigations and penalties. But if you look at it that way, if, if they're like, well, look, this is giving the government a lot of respect that I don't think they deserve. If this is like a coordinated thing, we're like, look, we'll go with FTX. This will be the Coinbase killer. We'll have a government controlled or government influenced exchange will displace coinbase's power in the market and then we'll have the government will have more control like similar to the media or pharmaceuticals or whatever you want to say and then that failed into like a total disaster while coinbase still just kind of rocked along with no problem and so yeah so plan a was displace coinbase and 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 own the exchanges and plan b is go after crypto on ramps and bank banking. I can see that being that, that holds together. That's some dot connecting that could work, but I just don't think the government is that coordinated. They just kind of do a bunch of stuff and it stumbles forward and it looks like a, a plan. I think they're getting some help from the world economic forum. So I, I guess one other thing to notice or to, to talk about from an exchange perspective we talked a little bit about Bitrix moving away from the U.S. because they're frustrated with the lack of regulation. So for those of you that do have accounts with Bitrix, 
April 29th is the last day that you can move your crypto out before it somewhat gets locked there. And I don't really know what happens after that, but U.S. customers, I think, are prohibited from using it starting on the 30th of April. That is a little crazy that that's happening. The good news is like companies like MetaMask are now partnering with PayPal to allow fiat on-ramps directly into a decentralized wallet. So there is a path for people <laughs> to find other ways in other than just having to use Coinbase. And since a lot of these exchanges seem to be pulling out of the US in general, I think they will be somewhat limited on the coins. And it seems like most of them are Ethereum based, but that doesn't really surprise me based on, I think everybody in at least the World Economic Forum is very tightly aligned to Ethereum, which is a little scary sometimes. <laughs> but uh, there are guys like Avalanche, I think will be enabled with that PayPal integration as well. Yeah, so two two things I can add there. One, when it comes to like Bittrex pulling out of the US, based on my experience with Binance, when they when Binance was not divided into Binance and Binance US, I had a Binance account with random different cryptos. And then when Binance, and then I just was asleep at the wheel working on businesses, whatever, I missed that deadline. I could go on to Binance, I could do nothing with the cryptocurrencies that were not available on Binance US. So if it was Bitcoin, like there's there's a handful of cryptocurrencies that I could still manipulate. Some of them are just locked up. Like I think if I logged into my Binance, I think I can't even log into my Binance account anymore. I only have my Binance US account now. Uh, my advice would be it's way easier to just move your stuff out <laughs> before they that deadline crosses because once it's over, I'm sure there's a way to VPN or travel internationally or do this or do that and move stuff around. But yeah, it's just super easy. Just a, the beauty of cryptocurrency, right? Just move it around. Put it in a, put it in a hard wallet. Put it in your pocket. So that's on the 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 Bitrix piece. On the other side, you're talking about like PayPal being able to convert into digital currencies and go into wallets. We talked about banking getting forced by regulators. These PayPal, Venmo, Cash App, those type of companies, they can be pushed around kind of like banks, but they can be started up a lot quicker and easier. Like Strike, they're going to have a tough time pushing Strike around because PayPal, Venmo, and Cash App aren't really geared towards crypto. They were created as being able to transfer value across the internet and buy things digitally and, and be facilitate e-commerce. But Strike is literally designed specifically to get dollars to Bitcoin and then transfer value across the globe using Bitcoin, whether you actually acquire Bitcoin or not. They're going to have a lot of trouble pushing Strike around. I think they're going to have a lot of trouble pushing Cash App around. A new one can evolve and create itself if they do make rules. So the on-ramps from from us dollars to crypto the system can adapt and create new on-ramps faster than the government can shut them down well and the, the big thing i mean I, I use paypal and venmo to buy crypto at this point the problem is when you buy it using paypal or venmo it stays in your paypal or venmo account and you have to sell back from that crypto back into your paypal or venmo account so i mean there is you have to worry about now you're at one location that controls everything and if they do get shut down by the government you're somewhat screwed but with the ability for paypal to be to send your crypto out a metamask now you can move it anywhere you want and exactly. transact it any way you want right so i mean that's a huge 
upgrade from what the current solution is today. Right. And I think the government is close to being able to figure out a way to prevent PayPal from converting U.S. dollars into crypto. I think they could figure out a regulation for that. I think they're a million miles away from being able to tell PayPal that they can't allow users to, to use the Bitcoin network to move Bitcoin from their address on PayPal to a, a, a third-party address or their own uh, wallet. So I think I am not good enough at the legal side to even know how the government would be able to tell a company that users' property cannot be transferred by that user to that user. I don't know where the government would ever have authority to do that. Now, I can see how you can say, hey, you can't turn U.S. dollars into crypto. You're, you're, they can come up with a way to do that. But once it's in crypto, I think you could, I think you could do what you want with it because of, because of property rights and we're in the United States. Well, I think the big thing that PayPal does is, I mean, they know their customer, right? The KYC part is somewhat taken care of, and that's what government is pushing for. So you don't have these random accounts that are moving stuff around and being doing terrorist activity, since that's what they're saying is all the criminals are, are doing crypto, and that's the only people doing this. Yeah, that's right. Yep. But earlier this new, let's talk about Ethereum for a second. Today, actually, they just had their uh, their new fork, whatever you want to call it, Chappella which enables all ethereum to start being unstaked so and i I shouldn't say all ethereum because it's going to be rolled out over the next months to a year so you can put in a request now and they will let you know when you're able to officially unstake your ethereum and then move it or sell it (laughs) it is kind of interesting that that's happening there's probably a lot of people that were worried that ethereum's price was going to tank because you're going to have this huge amount of Ethereum that was staked and was going to be unstaked, but now that it's going to be a year or or possibly even longer to get all of that unstaked, then I think this will be almost a non-issue. And for most of the people uh, that are hodlers of Ethereum, the price is so low, they're not going to want to sell at this point anyway. So this is, we we're probably not going to see a huge sell-off in Ethereum, at least in the near future. Yeah, I mean, I'm not an Ethereum guy, but... I don't think I would like for my cryptocurrency and this thing I consider to be a decentralized holder of my value to be like, uh, we decided that you can unstake sort of based on a timeline that we generate because we're trying to avoid a price decline. It's just why I like Bitcoin. Yep. Well, and so I am a Cardano fan and there's been a couple of developments from the Cardano ecosystem that are probably worth mentioning. For those of you that haven't heard of Chainlink, Chainlink is an Oracle that works on let's say mainly the Ethereum ecosystem, but it's also expanded into quite a few other blockchains, but it's what people use to determine what's, if something has really happened, right? And Cardano has their own version of Oracles called Charlie. They just had their first development between their Oracle and another product. They got launched. So it's exciting to see that the Oracles and Cardano are starting to happen to be determined on where it goes from here, but at least it's it's moving forward. The the other thing on Cardano is we, we talked a little bit about Cardano's layer two, uh, Pema. They just onboarded a company called Globant, which Globant is a billion dollar company it is the first billion dollar company that has been onboarded onto this, this new layer two. 
if you look at what Globant does, they have about 27,000 employees in 25 different countries that are working for a lot of very large companies like Google and Electronic Arts. So if you take what they're doing and now they're partnering directly with Pema for gaming applications and Web3, and they start bringing in Google and Electronic Arts onto Cardano, then that could only be positive for that blockchain. Yeah, I mean, I, the only reason I pay attention to Cardano is because you told me about Cardano like five, six years ago. And so I kind of just sit on my staff and like, it's it's like all of crypto. Just keep trying things. Onboard companies, see if things work. Like something's going to really, really work well in a, in a non-Bitcoin crypto way. And a lot of things may work really, really well, but it's kind of the beauty of all these like entrepreneurial decentralized attempts at using blockchain and crypto to solve real problems it's like it's a super useful tool it's got a lot of benefits you just have to keep trying stuff until things really work well yeah i mean it's always interesting to hear different attempts at things and like i don't part of me like the bitcoin part of me wants to be like oh this is dumb it's a waste of time but it's i mean it's really not i mean that's try stuff right what's what bad thing is going to happen because you're trying trying to solve old problems with new solutions like that's just that's the way things progress so keep going keep trying yeah and so with both of us being engineers and being very analytical if for those people that don't have a glass note account it's probably worth going out and just getting the free account and they send out a lot of information i think it's weekly but one of the things that i read in their newsletter lately was there is a metric that they call call r hodl and it's kind of the reverse hodl portion of it and it compares the single cycle long-term holders, which is anyone from about six months to two years of Bitcoin that hasn't moved and divides that by the young short-term holders, which is anywhere from a day to three months. And if you look over the, the past, what is that, eight-ish years or something like that, it's done a really good job of determining where the bottoms are in the space and what it's saying right now is that the lows for bitcoin for this cycle have somewhat been reached and it looks like it's going the other way and it's this is all kind of interesting because <laughs> the past year plus has been a lot of uncertainty from a regulatory perspective but it doesn't seem to be affecting those people that have a belief in in crypto in general so they continue to move away from fiat and stable coins into to bitcoin so it's kind of exciting to see some metrics that are showing that whether it's true or not that's still to be determined <laughs> yeah i mean I, I like looking at the those sorts of uh, uh on-chain metrics they're not always exactly right or the timing they're not good at timing is probably right but uh, it is indicative when you combine it with the fact that uh, we just had what is a pretty normal cycle of everything ramping all the way up and then dropping all the way down and then we i mean we were in that 15 to twenty thousand dollar range for like six months i mean a long time and that sideways movement is provides a ton of time for people who are just wanting to get out of bitcoin to get out and and those that bitcoin goes right into people who are just constantly accumulating they're buying every week no matter what and so you end up with, as time goes on, you have more people that are viewing Bitcoin as a one of 10 different reasons to buy Bitcoin 
none of them really are short-term traders when it's not exciting. Like <laughs> nobody, nobody decided in the last six months to jump in and trade Bitcoin. That was 2020 or 2021. So uh, these new guys, you know, they're, they're in and out, but these coins are going to old guys. Well, guess what they're going to do? They're going to hold, they're going to sit on it. And so there's just not as much sell pressure. Even these, somehow or another, these mining companies are still able to function, even though the hash rate's at an all-time high again. And the price, well, price hasn't been bad. Like, we're we're high 20s. I know I saw MicroStrategies now at the break-even point. It's like $29,000, $30,000 per Bitcoin for MicroStrategy to be break-even. But these mining companies, they're not selling the Bitcoin. You've got new entrants that have already sold all their Bitcoin. So there's just not a lot of sellers. And when there's not a lot of sellers, the price goes up until it finds a seller. And so that kind of goes along with the bottom is in and it's time to kind of build a new floor. 30,000 is in the high 20s, 30,000 is a weird floor because if you go back to the 2020 ramp up, it blew right through here, right? It went straight into the 30s. And so if it builds a floor in the twenty-five dollars to $30,000 range, that'll be like a new support resistance band for uh, going forward, which would be great. If the new floor is where MicroStrategies break even, that's a lot of confidence for new entrants to say, okay, this is a good time for me to buy. I'm getting in at the same price as Michael Saylor did. This seems like a, this seems like a pretty good move for me. That floor becomes super solid because... This is kind of this is the second cycle that people should be aware of Bitcoin. You're talking about five, six years of it being in people's awareness. Even people who are that view it as risky to buy Bitcoin, they still know, hey, if I'm going to buy it, I'm just going to buy it and sit on it. Like that's that's just that's the move. It's, you get more people that are fairly sophisticated to get into it. That's more Bitcoin coming off of the market and less Bitcoin that's going uh, available to sell because people are buying, you know, trying to trade it up. So yeah, I think I, I feel good about it. This is exactly the right time for Bitcoin to plummet to like 10,000. <laughs> yeah. Well, MicroStrategy, I think bought another thousand Bitcoin too. So they're up to like 140,000. So they continue to buy during all of this as no one is surprised at this point. Hey, when the price is at your cost basis, there's no penalty for buying. Yeah. It's a great, it's a great time to buy. It makes sense to me, man. Let's go back to some of the analytics stuff, too, because there's an interesting story. Euler Finance was hacked a little more than a month ago for about $200 million. And there's been a lot of talk about criminals using blockchain and stealing all this money, yada, yada, yada. Well, what's interesting is this money was hacked. The guy that stole it, they kind of were able to determine what wallets he was using. And he started to use tornado cash to try to obfuscate the money and all this stuff and come to find out with the right people focused on this, they were able to determine what was going on. And at the end of the day, I think they just announced a few days ago that all of the money has been completely returned to Euler Finance. So all of the investors or whatever owners of those tokens are going to be made whole. And this guy kind of came out and said, yeah, apologies for doing this. I didn't realize what I was doing, but it, it happened. So I, I want to make things right. So it's exciting that because of blockchain and you can track almost everything that's going on, the right people were able to find what was happening, where it was going, and able to determine who it was that had kind of taken it 
and get it all back. And this is probably the largest uh, resolution of, of this in the crypto industry that's that's happened so far. So it's 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 good that we're getting better at being able to track stuff that's hacked like this. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about that. But I think that it does show the same thing as that colonial pipeline ransomware attack where they basically track the money, capped the wallets. And then once you know the wallet addresses, if they transfer that money from a wallet to a bank account in order to turn it into fiat currency and use it in the real world, there's KYC. You know who they are. So going through Tornado Cash or these other kind of blending protocols, that makes it a little trickier. But for the most part, if you steal crypto, they can track you and basically know what your wallets are. And if you use that wallet with an IP address, I'd imagine they they can just kind of get you in the real world. So is it going to take them a while to get good at that? Yeah. But I mean, nobody likes these guys that are stealing people's money. You know, it's, the, the crypto, the owners of, or these entrepreneurial crypto engineers, they don't want that. So yeah, I think I think that'll be part of tracking them down. Yeah, well, it's it's good. It's they're getting better at it for sure. One of the other things that's interesting too is it's come out that every version of the Mac OS since 2018 has been shipped with a the Bitcoin white paper embedded in it. So this is fueling the theory lately that Steve Jobs was Satoshi Nakamoto. <laughs> and there's even videos of Tim Cook, the current CEO of Apple, uh, from years ago saying that he did own some cryptocurrency and he was still investigating it on his end. So I don't know if those wallets that Satoshi had that are just sitting there, Apple now owns those or what's going on, but it, it it is kind of funny to see that Steve Jobs' name is now being thrown out as the guy that that started all this. <laughs> yeah, so that got on my radar. I saw, I haven't been on social media much, but there was a some tweet from somebody that was like, if you have a Mac, you know, type this address into your folder directory and see what happens. And people were like, Bitcoin white papers on my Mac. So like, that could be just some random engineer that's into Bitcoin in 2018, put it in there and nobody noticed because Apple's got a gazillion people and nobody's focused on trying to find one file that's buried in the, you know, some directory somewhere, which is kind of a funny, cool Bitcoin thing to do. Yeah. I mean, 2018, I guess pretty, that's kind of early in the Bitcoin story. So, but yeah, but if it was Steve Jobs, it would be an Apple stuff from 2010. Maybe. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't know if I believe it's Steve Jobs, but it was just kind of interesting that that's happening for sure. Yeah, I, I mean, the, the whole Satoshi thing, like somebody's sitting on a million Bitcoin and just not doing anything with it or not telling anybody about it. That's pretty, that's pretty legit. Like, that'd be tough to do. Yeah, well, yeah. So I'm going to end the conversation talking about NFTs and some of the cool things going on there. I know you don't care nearly as much about it as I do, but there's some really cool things happening I know we talked a little bit about inscription or sorry, ordinals that Bitcoin was doing and Magic Eden, which is a NFT marketplace, seems to be the leader in Bitcoin NFTs and what's going on with these ordinals. So it looks like they did just under $2 million of sales for Bitcoin ordinal NFTs, which is five times the size of the next largest guy that is, is doing anything in that space. So there's apparently value in some of these. I still don't really know what the value is with those ordinals, and I haven't really seen what's <laughs> being sold. 
but it's exciting to see that somebody else sees some value in that. There's also some public art NFTs going on. And it's interesting because Atlanta, the city of Atlanta, is one of the first big ones that I've read about. And what they have done is the city of Atlanta has dedicated like 450 grand to an artist to do a public art design. I'm not even sure where in the city of Atlanta it is. But what they are doing on top of that is that they will be selling an NFT collection that if they sell them all out, it'll net them $100,000 or something like that, that they can use to help pay for part of the actual art installation. And then they'll also get royalties for the rest of, I I guess, for eternity at this point with it being a city. So theoretically, if these NFTs really take off and they're worth something or there is some sort of value attached to them and they keep getting resold, that art could be somewhat paid for. And and it's also the, the creator of the art would actually get a portion of that too. So the state of Atlanta would get some and then the artist would get some. So it'll be interesting to see if this becomes a kind of a common thing to do moving forward with public art. Yeah, this is one of the things about NFTs that I do like in that if you are an artist, you can create a piece of art and through NFTs, every time that piece of art is sold, not a copy of it, but the actual the actual art, it can through a smart contract can automatically put a portion of that sale value into your wallet. When you talk about art, like the first time a piece of art sells, that's successful art. It's the cheapest it ever sells for. So the artist gets a piece of the cheapest price. And then the next time it sells, if it, it, 10Xs, the artist gets nothing and the buyer of the art gets the entire benefit of the appreciation of the artwork. And then the next buyer, it, it 10Xs for him or her. But the artist gets none of it. So, the, you know, you got a, a $10 million piece of art. The artist got $10,000 when he sold it the first time and, and everybody else is getting rich off of his art. And that sucks. But with NFTs, if you if you wire it properly and there's enough value and people actually appreciate it and all of those things, you can have it where every time it sells, 10% of that sale goes into the wallet of the owner or the original artist and or his descendants in perpetuity, which I think is pretty cool. How does that actually happen in the real world? I don't really know. It, the theory of being able to to pay the artist every time the piece of artwork sells or every time a, the song plays or every time it's downloaded through normal channels, every time someone else makes money on that artwork, the artist could get a piece of it. I, I like the I like the theory behind that. Now it's just up to, you know, a million monkeys pounded on a million typewriters to actually figure out how that works. But, you know, that's just kind of the way innovation works is you just try a bunch of stuff yeah so exciting to see that we're seeing some real world use cases that we'll see if they stick or not right but it's it's cool that it's happening the other big news another very large partnership salesforce has announced they are partnering with polygon owner of the matic blockchain and they are going to be releasing some an nft based loyalty program on matic i mean salesforce is all about customer attention right and they're using NFTs to continue to keep loyal fans engaged. So it's exciting to see what will happen with that. I mean, this is still pretty early on, so I don't really even know what this means. But NFTs, once again, continue to stay in the news, even though it's not just a profile picture <laughs> of a monkey being sold. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm curious because, I mean, Salesforce, 
hasn't been a name that I've heard in the crypto universe. And they're a pretty serious business, regardless of what your thoughts are on CRM software and how it works in the real world. But if they could implement NFTs to work in a way that makes sense for corporate America, it'd be cool to see what happens. You know, again, man, just uh, more people trying more things. It's bound to find ways to make this stuff work. Perfect. Well, that's all I have for this week. Anything else we need to talk about? Uh, I think that's it for me. Awesome. Well, Hal, thanks for joining. Welcome back to the U.S. (laughs) Good to be back. (laughs) And we'll talk again next week. I'm sure there'll be a lot more interesting things to talk about if we keep having these uh, conspiracy theories come true. Yeah, man, it's a very interesting bear market. (laughs) Yes, it is. Chat soon. See you. All right. Thanks, Jason. If all of these crypto conversations leave you with more questions and you're looking for answers i've created a product that dives into most of those answers including why crypto how to set up a cold wallet and some of the more advanced strategies for dealing with crypto check the link in the notes below and hope to see you there